This summer, when you're on the go, stay connected to what matters most with access to over 3 million Cox Wi-Fi hotspots. Learn more at cox.com. Ask Ashley the podcast is sponsored by Cox. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Everybody thinks they got it together. But inside, you're asking, am I enough? No matter how good we look to others, the nagging voice of self-doubt is hard to shake. We ask questions like, if people really knew me, would they still accept me? Will I be rejected when I can't perform? Can I pull this off? Or find up alone? Am I missing out on what life should be? Because I just can't shake this fear. My guest on the script today is Erica Wiggenhorn. Erica is an award-winning author and founder of Every Life Ministries. Every Life Ministries encourages you to discover your unique purpose, accept God's promises, and live by his power. Erica is the author of three Bible studies, An Unexplainable Life, The Unexplainable Church, and Unexplainable Jesus. Her next release, Letting God Be Enough, is scheduled to be released in September 2021. Would you help me in welcoming my guest and new friend, Erica Wiggenhorn? Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast. My name is Corby LaCroix, and the song you're hearing right now is called Great and Mighty One, available on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your music. But for now, recording from the Unscripted Studio at the Junction in Old Hilliard, here's your host and my friend, Aaron Conrad. Great Redeemer, God of All right, everybody, welcome to Unscripted from my studio at the Junction in Old Hilliard. Corby, thank you for my introduction, as always, on the audio. And uh, really cool, just a very special guest today. This opportunity, um, I'm just so honored that it came up. And I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to Erica and let her introduce herself. So, Erica, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Hey, everybody. It's great to be with you today. Uh, My name is Erica Wiggenhorn. And I'm super excited to be on Unscripted because it feels very no pressure here, Aaron. <laughs> like, I just you. feel like I'm hanging out with a, a cool guy. And yeah, <laughs> we're just kind of chatting it up. But I am first and foremost, a follower of Jesus. And I am a wife and a mother of two teenagers. So if you are a praying person, you know how to pray for me now. Uh, I'm an author. Uh my jam, the passion of my life is to convince you to get your face in the book, which I mean the Bible, get your mm-hmm. face in the book and live like it's true because it will change everything for you. Uh, so I write Bible studies. I teach at various conferences um, and I have a new book out that just came out two days ago. I don't know. It's kind of a blur. Uh, <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited to be here. And anytime I can encourage somebody to pause and think about how much God loves them and that he created them for a purpose, it's a great day. That's awesome. Thank you for that introduction. And you're in Arizona, right? So yes. we, we had a little lesson in time zones this week. All of us did both, both <laughs> myself and Erica. So, so here we are, but we made it happen. And I'm, I'm super pumped and, and honored that, uh, that you're here with us now. So um, can we start at the beginning? Uh, you, you've, so you said you've written three devotional books so far, and then now your fourth is just now coming out. Is my math correct? That is correct. You are awesome. much better at math than you are at time zones. Good job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Perfect. That's, and those that know me, I'm, I've been told not to say this a lot, but I got a 13 on my ACT. So 
that for me, four is probably about as the highest number I can go. So that's good. So, all right. So you have three books, fourth coming out now. You're, when did you decide to write your first book? And we can talk about those three books because I really want to get into the, the new book that you're launching. But um, the first three books, what, what pushed you to write book number one and then book number two and then book number three? Yeah. So book number one really came about um, for a couple of different reasons. Um, I did not grow up in church at all. Um, I, I'm not familiar with the Sunday school flannel boards that I hear people talk about. Oh, uh, that was not my story. Um, but my grandparents moved in with us when I was a young teen. And if you knew my grandfather, you knew there was absolutely no way you were going to live under his roof and not be in church on a Sunday morning. So we started going to church because Papa said, you better go to church. And uh, that was really my first experience of being in a church much, um, ever reading a Bible, really. And so my youth pastor began really working on me. I think I was his project, but (laughs) anyway, after about a year and a half, I decided to follow Jesus. And when that happened, he said to me, okay, well, if you're going to follow Jesus, then you need to have a quiet time. And I'm like, what in the world is quiet time? He's like, well, you need to read your Bible. You need to let God speak to you through the Bible. And you need to pray. And I was like, okay, um, I don't know how to do that, but I'll give it a shot. So, you know, he gave me one of those nifty Bibles where all the, everything Jesus says is in red letters. Nice. And I sat on my bed and opened my Bible and I'm reading Jesus's red letters. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know what a millstone is. I don't know what a plowshare is, a wheat tear, a mustard (laughs) seed an oxen. I don't know what any of these things are. And I remember sitting there and saying to Jesus, how in the world am I supposed to follow you if I can't even understand you? True. And so my Bible just pretty much sat on my nightstand and collected dust. And I'd pick it up on a Sunday morning when I went to church. And that was pretty much all I ever read my Bible because I felt like it was boring and I didn't know how to apply it to my life. And I was super embarrassed to admit that because nobody wants to admit that I love Jesus, but I don't like reading my Bible. It's like an oxymoron, right? Right, right. And so uh, then I would go to church and I would hear people talking about, you know, how God would speak to them in their quiet time. And I was like, really? Like, God doesn't speak to me when I try to read the Bible. I don't know what you're talking about. And then I felt really ashamed. Um, like I wasn't a a good Christian or God must not really love me the way he Mm. loves other people. Just lots of things like that went through my mind. And I pretty much cycled in that guilt because I didn't like reading the Bible and then ashamed because I was frustrated when I did read it for probably a good solid 10 years of my life, honestly. And I was going to church still, and I was, you know, trying to be a good Christian and do all the things, but, um, connecting with God was just hard for me. I, Mm -hmm. I, I knew he existed. I believed in him. I believed Jesus had died on the cross for my sins, but I didn't really have a relationship with God. I just sort of was like, okay, well, when I die, he'll, take me to heaven. And that was yeah. pretty much the extent of it. Yeah. Um, and then finally, I had the opportunity to go to a Bible study at church. And I went kicking and screaming because I did not <laughs> want anyone to know how little I actually knew of right. the Bible. Like, this is going to be the truth telling moment. <laughs> right. So, but I went, my friend was like, Nope, you're going. And I went and I sat around a table of women and they began to teach me how to study the Bible Hmm. and it came alive for me. I thought something finally clicked. The light bulb finally went on. I began to understand more of what I was reading. And at that point in my life, I, you know, I thought to myself, man, if I could have had some kind of resource, if somebody could have just come alongside me so much sooner than now. Um, or I could have had some kind of book or study to 
to walk me through this process and, and help me learn the Bible, my life would have been so different. Right. And so that really became the catalyst of me wanting to write studies. I wanted to create a tool that somebody could pick up and say, I get it. Okay, yeah. now I understand it. And so when I get an email from a reader and they're like, for the first time in my life, I understand the Bible. Right. I just want to like jump out of my desk chair right. because I get that moment of like, yes, I know it's exciting, right? Somebody gave you the secret decoder ring right. and it's just, <laughs> and it's the coolest thing. And so that's really what led me to begin that, that process is I just wanted to create those tools for people because I realized over quite some time, I was not alone in that struggle of feeling like I don't understand the Bible. I don't understand how it applies to my life. I don't want to admit that I don't like reading it. I don't want to admit that when I do read it, I don't understand it or get anything out of it. Um, there's a lot of people out there in that boat, mm -hmm. um, but nobody talks about it because right. nobody wants to admit it. But right. the reality is, is that's a lot of people that are walking in and out of church or even people that maybe don't go to church, but mm -hmm. they have a Bible somewhere in their house, but they don't ever read it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I got started on my journey. I love that. And, and can I ask you this question? What, what, what version, because to your point, if I go to the Christian bookstore right now, there's probably five to six to 10. I don't even know how many versions there are now there's the niv the king james the new king james the king james remix the king james 2.0 the <laughs> new living the new living translation the message the, right esv the, yeah. whatever you name it mm -hmm. what version do you use well that's sort of a trick question so my very first, <laughs> my very scripted. first bible my very first bible uh was niv and okay. that's you know that's kind of my fallback version. I think you kind of always just sort of have an affinity for whatever, wherever you started. Uh, but in publishing world, you can't use NIV uh, in published books. And so for my Bible studies that are published, I use ESV, okay. which is so super similar to the NIV. Um, but that that particular version publishers are allowed to use in their published works. So this ESV is, is my second go-to. This is completely <laughs> off base and random. And it, it, by the way, if I ever ask a question, you can't, you can't answer for publishing reasons or whatever other reasons you just say pass. Okay. Why can't you use NIV is because somebody else owns it. I don't know. They just won't <laughs> grant publishers the right to use right. it. I don't That's know. Fine. I, I, don't I think I know it. the answer to that. And I think it starts with a Z the name of the company, but anyway, that, that oh. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's fine. It, this is fine. Anyway. So, so use the ESV. I don't know. I mean, okay. who doesn't want people to read the Bible? Right. So I, I think know. that's why we have so many versions, <laughs> right? You have the message right. and you have all those things. And I think there's theologians sitting around trying to come up with new and different ways to explain this and decoder ring, as you said it. And because of that, you've written three books and they're all um, I have my notes in front of me. Um, can you read the three books for me <laughs> while I look for it? <laughs> I know they're all called yes. the unexplained. Uh, yeah, I got, I got um, it. the unexplained okay. life, the unexplained church, and the I'm sorry, the unexplainable life. Let me get it right, Aaron. The, the unexplainable life, the unexplainable church, and unexplainable Jesus. Those are the three, oh. the first three, right? Yes. And so that was your, that this, and, and in those, I don't want to speak for you, that that was how you began to decode this for someone like the rest of us, like myself, that, that would admit the same thing. I'm afraid to go to a Bible study if I don't have tabs on the side, because I don't have it memorized yet where they are in the, you know, I mean, I think I'm, I was sick the day they had VBS. So <laughs> I didn't, <laughs> right? yeah. I know revelations in the back I know Genesis is in the front <laughs> and the gospels are somewhere in the middle. And, and if I open it straight to the middle, I'll probably get to Psalms. And outside of that, I'm struggle bus. So <laughs> is they that, is that kind of that tabs for you, Aaron, by Thank the you. way, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> for guys like me, right? <laughs> that's perfect. No. So, so the three books that, that is that that's really the basis of those three books. Yes. So the first two, An Unexplainable Life and The Unexplainable Church, really walk you through the book of Acts, which is, hey, how, how 
did the people who walked around on this earth with Jesus, how did they do the Jesus thing? How did they live? What did they think it meant to be a follower of Jesus? And so it really walks us through that. And it walks us through uh, God's call really to live in community. Mm. And that really goes very counterculture to the culture that we're living in now, and even very counterculture to the current American church culture, right? Mm. Like I'm going to church if I'm logging into my YouTube and I'm watching a sermon on my phone, I did church. Uh, No, you watched a sermon, but you didn't do church because church is being in community with other believers and Mm -hmm. serving other believers and letting other believers speak into your life and challenging you and encouraging you. So it really gives us uh, what I would say, it gives us the recipe for how to live the Christian life. How do we follow Jesus today in our world, in our time? Uh, So that's the first two. And then the third one, unexplainable Jesus, rediscovering the God you thought you knew, that goes through the gospel of Luke. And it Mm. really explains Jesus from the Jewish perspective. So Mm. instead of reading the Gospels, all those nice red letters in your Bible, like a 21st century American, uh, it helps you hear what those words of Jesus would have sounded like and felt like to a first century Israelite. So Mm. you... It, it's the secret decoder ring for when Jesus is using irony or sarcasm <laughs> or calling people out, right? right? Like Jesus was not the guy who walked around like patting kids' heads with the little lamb across his shoulders and peace to you, shalom, mm-hmm. have a blessed day. <laughs> right. I mean, that was not Jesus. Like he was funny. And he called people out and he got in their face when they were hypocritical. Mm -hmm. I mean, we miss it. We miss so much of it because we read it like an American instead of like uh, someone from Middle Eastern culture. I love that. I I, want to hang out with somebody who's sarcastic and ironic and funny and all those things (laughs) much more than, you know what I mean? To your point. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that. I really, really do. It's very cool. All right. So that brings us to the new book and that is letting God be enough. I'll, you may read the whole title. So read the whole, I'll read the whole title. Letting I kind of want to hear you <laughs> struggle through it. <laughs> We've known each other like five I'm minutes and you already know I'm not going to be good at that. <laughs> letting God be enough. Why striving keeps you stuck and how surrender sets you free. Did I get it right? Good, bravo. Right. <laughs> anyway, that's the new book. Letting God be enough. Why striving keeps you stuck and surrender, how surrenders sets you free. So let's talk about the new book. It just launched and, uh, and I'll have all the links and all this and we'll get them before we are done, but let's talk about the new book. Yeah. Uh, so the new book is topical in nature and it really is about imposter syndrome and overcoming our fear of inadequacy, fear of failure, fear of not being enough, fear of messing up, um, all those self-doubts that we can struggle with in such a variety of contexts. Um, I know like for my husband, for example, that really shows up a lot in his career in that Mm -hmm. area Mm -hmm. of his life. Um, You know, am I going to succeed? Am I going to, you know, leave the legacy that I want? Am I going to achieve my goals that I've set for myself? Um, Or is, you know, somebody going to come in and, and, pass me right up or, or take the opportunity for me. Uh, I think for women, it, it can definitely show up in a workplace as well. But I think for women where we predominantly struggle with it more is in our relationships, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe we have aging parents and it's like, well, you know, am I enough, um, to, to handle my parents aging and illnesses? Well, can I navigate this? Am I, you know, am I doing enough for my kids? You know, are they going to end up in therapy because I'm a terrible mom? You know, um, am I, you know, am I being a good enough wife? Um, you know, is my husband going to decide he needs somebody else at some day because I'm not, you know, I'm just not enough for him. Um, my good enough friend, um, you know, it, 
those are the, those are the areas more where I think women really begin to struggle with it. But I think women also struggle with it in the sense of um, we have a lot of roles and a lot of hats that we wear. And so for a guy, you know, if, if somebody were to come over to our house and our house looks like a bomb went off, which it kind of does right now. Um, but if, if someone were to come over, you know, I just launched a book two days ago. That's my excuse. That's uh, right. If someone were to come over to our house and it looked like a bomb went off, the instinct, the cultural instinct is not to say, wow, that Jonathan that Erica is married to is like a slouch of a husband. Mm. Mm -hmm. The culture is going to say, like, Erica really needs to get her act together. I mean, her house looks like a bomb went off. Like, culturally, it just sort of lands on the woman. If the children are not doing well in school, you know, again, it's like, where, where's the mom? Why is she not paying attention? Why is she not signing these missing homework slips? You know, it falls more on the female. Um, And that's just a part of the way that our culture is. And so I think it, women especially struggle with it because it can come at them from so many different angles, right? Mm -hmm. Like if my husband is knocking it out of the park at work, at work, He's feeling pretty good all the way around, but for a woman, it's like, she's got to be doing a good job at work and she's got to be keeping her home up and she's got to have kids that are on the right track and she's got to have time for friends and she's got to, you know, have some kind of like side hustle and her hair needs to be combed and she needs to, you know, go to the gym three days a week. There's just a whole lot more cultural pressure for women to be all things all the time. True. Mm Mm-hmm. Very true. And I think, yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. And I think all that's very, very fair. And I, I guess I've never thought of it in that perspective of the home, you know, like you just said, if somebody comes to the house, you know, it's not like they ask me why I haven't, <laughs> unless the, so the landscaping, yes, the, the, you know, I mean, if the inside of the house is a mess, they're, you know, they're probably not going to say, Hey, how come you haven't vacuumed? And, or, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's yeah. very fair. Um, but I will say it from the male perspective, I think when I read these questions before we um, got on, I, I think all these questions, I'm, I'm an empath by nature, just so you know, I'm, I'm an empath. Okay. So I, I feel and do all those things. And when I read these, I think, I think for males, the difference is we won't admit it. Um, and I don't know if that's fair or if that's true, but I think a lot of guys are not, these thoughts run through our head as well and that it, but, but we just don't admit it and we won't admit it publicly, which is, I think why guys get themselves in situations much like you mentioned a minute ago, um, because we won't admit our need for, I don't know if I'm good. I, like, I don't know if I'm going to be good enough at what I'm going to try. You know, um, I don't know if I'm going to be good enough at work. All those things that you said, like, I think um, maybe we just don't admit it as much or, or are afraid to admit it or get, in, get into accountability groups with other people that will help us when we do admit it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You ready for some questions? Cause there's some quotes in the book. I, I want to, I want you to unpack for me. Can you do that? Sure. Okay. Well, so I'm first... going to try. This is unscripted. So right. no promises. <laughs> well, I'm going to try to read them. <laughs> so we're both in the same boat. <laughs> all right. Uh, and I highlighted them and my, my printer smeared them. So I'm, I'm making up all kinds of excuses. Anyway. All right. Uh, our fear of inadequacy and failure can bring us into battles. God never intended us to fight. Can you talk about that one for a minute? Yeah. So I think what happens is, is, you know, we are seeing this so much in our culture right now. Um, you know, people are so offended over some of the smallest things and, you know, maybe why are we offended? You know, one of the things my dad used to say to me, you know, if someone were to say something hurtful, you know, uh, he used to always say, Erica, consider the source, Mm, consider the source. Right. right? So it's like, you know, one of the things, you know, I've been involved in women's ministry at our church for for many years. And, and I will say to other women, I'll say, you know, wounded women, wound women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when somebody says something that is hurtful or offensive, 
usually it's coming from a place of their own woundedness, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's just coming out and it's just spilling over onto us. And that's not a battle we need to fight, right? Like they're wounded, they need healing. Like it has nothing to do with you or I, the recipient of of those words or those Mm -hmm. actions. Um, And so I think, but because if we are battling already with insecurity, uh, when somebody says something hurtful to us, it just sort of rips the mask off of our face a little bit because mm-hmm. it's like, oh my goodness, like they've just said out loud what I am secretly feeling about myself inside. Mm. And so then it, even though what they're saying isn't true because what we're feeling is a feeling, it's right. not necessarily reality. And so you know, feelings are, feelings are indicators, but they shouldn't be leaders of how we respond, right? right. Our logic should be the, are the leader in how we respond. And so, yeah, what happens is, is we end up reacting emotionally to things that if we were more secure in who we are, we wouldn't have such a visceral angry response when somebody says something unkind to us or does something unkind to us, we would just say, well, you know what, that, that, that person must have really had something hard happen in their life for them to behave like that. Mm. Yeah, that's all so true. And I, I used to say the same thing. I've always believed that if, if someone is saying something about you, then you're a threat. <laughs> they, mm-hmm. they, they see you as a threat for, for whether that's a, um, a threat of whether it's in, in, business or in sports or in just overall presence. Um, it's almost a compliment if we can learn to live in a place sure, where yeah. take that as a compliment, because honestly, if they weren't saying anything, they wouldn't really probably even realize that you're existing. You know what I mean? It, 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 yeah. you're, you're a threat of some kind. So that's always been my, my mentality. Um, an inability to offer grace to others is the first sign that we remain unable to accept grace for ourselves. Wow. Can you talk about that one? Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> we might need a whole nother episode for this one. <laughs> That's why I picked it. But <laughs> so I don't know if you've ever met any of these people or you've ever gone to a church where these people are, but there are some people. I mean, I don't have any of these people in my church, but. Um, (laughs) there are those people that are very, uh, you know, they're always pointing a finger out the window and -hmm. they're never looking in the mirror. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they're very quick to judge the slightest thing in someone else, but yet they are completely unwilling to take a look in the mirror and see their own shortcomings. Um, that is a person who thinks that they are righteous, they are holy, they are, they don't really need God's grace, they don't Mm. really, they don't make mistakes the way other people do, they're smarter than other people, they're wiser than other people, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we, we meet this person in, in Luke's gospel, in Luke 7, it starts in verse 35, and it's a Pharisee and his name is Simon and Simon, you know, Jesus shows up to Simon's house and Simon completely humiliates Jesus in the way that he treats him. You know, he doesn't greet him. He doesn't wash his feet or give him water to wash his feet. He doesn't uh, anoint Jesus with oil, which are all like, you know, regular customs. Like it'd be like, if you showed up at my house, Aaron, and I just like, left the door unlocked and you walked in and I just totally ignored you. I didn't offer you anything to drink. Like Simon's totally rude to Jesus. And then, um, as the story goes on, there is this woman that Simon thinks is a sinner and she does all of those things for Jesus. She washes Jesus's feet with her mm-hmm. tears as she's mm-hmm. weeping over him. She anoints him with the little tiny bit of oil that she has. Um, and she's kissing his feet. Uh, she's just adoring him. And Simon is appalled 
at this woman's behavior. And her behavior was a little risque for that culture. I mean, women didn't let down their hair. So it was a little odd what this woman <laughs> was doing. But she was doing it from a heart of love. Mm-hmm. And Jesus basically tells Simon a story. He's like, look, Simon, if one guy owes me $50 million and one guy owes me 50 cents, and I tell both guys they don't have to pay me back, which one's going to be more grateful? Right. And Simon's like, well, the one who owed you $50 million, I suppose. And Jesus is kind of like, well, no, duh. Right. (laughs) And he's not saying to Simon, like, aren't you lucky that you only have a debt of 50 cents? Right. Jesus is like using irony. He's Mm -hmm. like, you think you have a debt of 50 cents. You think you're all that and a bag of chips (laughs) and you don't need my forgiveness. But this woman who's weeping over me recognizes her own sin and she's sorry for it. Mm. And she wants to show me that she's grateful that I have forgiven her sins. Yeah. And it's, and that's the whole thing. It's like the person who's always so busy looking around thinking that they have, you know, all they need to throw on the table is two quarters compared to the person who's like, you know what, without Jesus, I'm lost. Right. I am a wreck. Um, they're not going to be very willing to offer grace to anyone else. But the person who knows without Jesus, man, I would be a complete and utter disaster. Right. That is a person who's going to be much more compassionate and kind and gracious to somebody else. Wow. That was, we literally could have a whole episode on that. I do believe. So we'll have to come back and do another episode. But, you know, I think as you were talking, I was thinking about, we have a prison ministry at our church and the stories that come out of the prison ministry to your point are people that have been absolutely broken, have hit rock bottom uh, for whatever reason, whether it was life choices or circumstance, whatever it was. Um, and, and they understand a grace and a, I always think of it when I go to the ocean and there's a song called, what do I know of holy? And I stand on the ocean mm. and I think of the words, what do I, I always think of that lyric when I stand in outer banks and look out at the ocean, like, what do I know of? holy? You know what I mean? And I think yeah. people much like you're speaking of, um, who've been to the brink know a whole lot more about holy than I do when I live a privileged life. I mean, yeah. just the honest truth. So awesome answer. Um, I promise this is unscripted. She doesn't know what's coming next. (laughs) All right. One more. Um, Asking for help requires a different type of strength, vulnerability. Yeah. It's scary to be vulnerable. Right. Would you agree? I mean, absolutely agree. In fact, I think it's almost more frightening sometimes to be vulnerable than it is to be courageous and just say, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to strive and I'm going to give it 199% and I'm going to do everything I possibly can not to fail. And, you know, regardless of the fallout, regardless of the collateral damage, I'm going for it. Um, That requires courage too, but to sit down and look around and say, I can't do this by myself. This Mm. is bigger than me. Mm -hmm. Um, I need other people. And most importantly, I need God. That is vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And that takes a courage that, first of all, it's a courage that our culture despises, right? Our culture teaches us like the minute you admit that, like the whole world is going to come at you chew you up and spit you out. Right. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so we are trained to keep, keep our vulnerability under wraps at all costs. Um, But the reality is, is that's really the message of the gospel, right? Like Paul said, um, you know, we don't consider anything as coming from ourselves but it's Christ who's made us adequate through his death and resurrection. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And so, you know, that's essentially what it means to follow Jesus, to say, I don't have everything. I don't have it all figured out. I'm not living this life perfectly. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've got a lot of questions. I've got a lot of doubts. Um, There's a lot about this life that doesn't make sense. um, That I can't wrap my mind around that I can't explain away. And I need to believe that there's somebody bigger and better than me out there behind all of this that's got a plan and that's got a purpose. And I know I can't fix it all. I can't fix myself. I can't fix the prodigal that's walked away and is, you know, living a a horrible life of self-destruction. I can't cure my family member that has cancer. Mm -hmm. I can't fix my kid with special needs. I can love them to death, but I can't cure them. I can't fix the mind that doesn't work the same way as everybody else's. There's stuff in this life I can't fix. And I need God to help me. I need God to be enough where I am falling short. That's vulnerability and that's courage. Mm. I mean, all of these are, are so deep um, and true. I mean, it's all, everything you're saying is, is truth. It's, it's, it's an uncomfortable truth because it's something we don't want to admit. We want to be able to pull us up by our own bootstraps and talk about how we did it. I did, I created, I, I, I. Um, when the reality is we have zero control. I mean, we found that out in the last year, (laughs) right? I mean, like within the last, you know, 2020 was if we didn't learn in 2020 that we really have zero control over a lot. Um, And and that's Mm -hmm. a, like, there's a lot of conversation that could go off of that too. But honestly, I mean, things were stripped away and we had no control. We had zero control. And and, um, for some of us, it, it helped us learn I don't have control. So I just got to roll with the punches and, and see where it goes. And if it, and in some ways we were almost forced into a vulnerability, but um, I failed to mention the fact this, this book is based on Moses, correct? That is correct. Yeah. I, I remember that because his brother <laughs> was, was helpful. <laughs> no, I do remember that. Aaron no, I, was awesome. It was awesome. And I'm <laughs> you know, really glad. I, I can see for those of you listening out here, I just want you to know that I can see Aaron's office behind him and you will be very relieved to know that there is not a golden cow anywhere in sight. No, there's, there's some bobbleheads, but no, there's not a cow up there. Not a single golden cow up there. No, in all He's honesty, learned though, his lesson. <laughs> complete offshoot. But I, you know, when I grew up, was I was growing up, I, I was one of the few errands. So we would go to the amusement park and, you know, there was always license plates with people's names on them and you could never find Aaron completely random. Huh. But that point, when I, when I was reading this, I was thinking, you know, that's interesting because Aaron's been around since the beginning of time. And yet I couldn't get a license plate when I went to the um, <laughs> gift shop. <laughs> But the point is not that. The point is that the story is a drawn up. <laughs> Let's get back. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we'll get back on track. The the story is this is you you spoke about this with your other books. Um and and how those were written, you know, from certain chapters and and um in the Bible and certain books of the Bible, I should say. Um, and this one you're drawing the story from Moses. Is that is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and what specifically drew you to that? What, like, how did you go from Moses to the title of letting God be enough? Yeah. How do, how do, how do you connect those dots? So in Moses's journey, what I found so fascinating when I wanted to really study this whole idea of not being enough, imposter syndrome, fear of inadequacy, self-doubt, uh, all different ways of saying the exact same thing. Uh, because my passion really is scripture, I looked at two things. I looked at what the world tells us when we struggle with this, what the leading psychologists tell us to do, uh, thought leaders, um, influencers, you know, their advice is to unroll your resume, cite your past successes, look yourself in the mirror, tell yourself all the reasons why you're enough, um, all the good things about yourself, give yourself a nice, good pep talk, get your head back in reality of who you really are, what you've been able to accomplish and do in your life. 
And that's not bad advice because our default is to always downplay our abilities and our giftedness. I mean, that's just what we do. And that doesn't honor God. You know, that's like basically saying, well, God, you you know, you say I'm this, but what do you know, God? Like, Mm. I know more about myself than you do. Uh, You know, that's not, that's not healthy. That's not honoring. So it's not bad advice. The problem is, is it's inadequate advice Mm. to overcome a fear of inadequacy because there will be times, there's going to be seasons in our lives where we're going to walk into a situation or an assignment and we have nothing on our resume to prepare Mm. us for that. You know, Mm -hmm. my husband's coworker, she walked into the office a couple of months ago and announced to everybody, uh, my 11 year old daughter has bone cancer. Well, you know, Rachel is an amazing woman. She has a graduate degree. She's run million dollar businesses. I mean, she's got, this girl's got it going on. She is smart as a whip but there's nothing on Rachel's resume to prepare her to be a mom of a cancer patient. Right. Um, so it, the advice becomes inadequate because there's going to be things we're going to face in this life that we've got nothing to prepare us for that moment. Mm. And so, you know, I coupled, okay, well, this is the world's advice. It's not bad advice, but it's not adequate advice. Right. Uh, to help me overcome my fear of inadequacy. So what does scripture say? And I landed on Moses because I call him the greatest self-doubter of the Bible, because essentially that's what he did to God uh, when God came to him, you know, in the burning bush. And he's like, okay, Moses, so uh, I'm God and you're not clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so take off your sandals uh, mm-hmm. because you need to figure out I'm holy. You're not. Uh, And I'm going to tell you some stuff. I'm going to tell you my plan for your life, Moses, and what I want you to do. And Moses is like, "Uh, I don't think so. Like, who am I to have that plan for my life? God, like you're making a mistake, right? That's essentially what Moses is saying to God. And in that moment, God does not do with Moses what the world tells us to do. He doesn't unroll Moses's resume and cite all of the reasons why here's the reason why Moses, I picked you as the guy for the job. Mm. I mean, God could have done that. He could have said, you know, okay, well, I picked you to go back to Egypt to talk to Pharaoh because you grew up in Pharaoh's court. So like you get how the whole court works, you know, when to walk in, you know, when to walk out, you know, when you can speak, you know, when you can't, Uh, You know, you speak fluent Egyptian, that's probably going to be helpful. You understand their religion. So you're going to know why I'm doing these plagues. Like that's all going to make sense to you. You grew up as a prince. So you understand government because you're going to be in charge of 2 million people. You've been wandering around this wilderness for 40 years. So, you know, all the best places to stop along the way. Once you get out, I mean, God could have unrolled Moses's resume and cited all of the reasons why he was qualified for this assignment. And you kind of think to yourself, well, man, like that would have kind of been nice of you, God. I mean, clearly he's struggling with self doubt here. Like you could have given him some props, right? Mm -hmm. Right. But God didn't do it. He doesn't give Moses one single prop. He just promises Moses his presence. Mm. And he's like, he just is like, Moses, you got to get your eyes off yourself, man. Like this isn't about you, dude. This isn't about what you've done, where you've been, what you learned. This is about me. This is about the fact that I'm God and I'm with you and I have the plan and I'm going to finish the plan because God then goes on to say to Moses, and I love this part. He says, I will be with you. And then he says, when you have leaped, when you lead the people out. Mm. And I love that because he didn't say to Moses, well, I will be with you. And if you are spiritual enough to hear my voice and understand what I'm doing, or if you are obedient enough and I decide to keep blessing this plan, or if you are wise enough and a strong enough leader to convince everybody to follow you, God doesn't say if. He says, when, Mm. because God's plan for our lives 
it really doesn't depend on our performance. Right. It rests on God's promises. Thank God. And God, right? <laughs> and God's promises are yes and amen, right? Mm-hmm. They are good as done. And so I take so much comfort in that because it God is basically saying like, okay, Moses, here's the deal. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to finish what I start because God is the author and the finisher. He mm. always finishes what he starts. Mm-hmm. And then the third one, he says, I will be with you. And when you lead the people out, and then he says, you will worship me on this mountain or some translations say, serve me. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it means the same thing. What God is saying is, and Moses through this process, through this process of you walking this assignment out with me, you will understand that I am a God worthy to be worshiped or worthy to be served. In other words, he's promising Moses a level of intimacy. You're going to witness some wonders here, Moses. You're going to see the greatness of my capabilities, but you're also going to understand the goodness and the kindness and the faithfulness of my character. So you're going to understand not only what I can do, but you're going to understand who I am. Mm. And I, that excites me Yeah, because it comes, but it also gives me comfort because mm-hmm. when I'm in a difficult situation or a difficult season and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm going, um, this girl ain't got nothing for this. <laughs> right. I don't have to have anything. I just have to say, God, um, I'm following you. I don't know where you're going. I don't know how this is all going to work, but I'm, I'm going to follow you. And God promises me those three things. Hmm. We can say, no, God's still with us. We can say, no, God's still going to work out his plan for our lives. But what we'll forfeit is the intimacy part. We're going to forfeit the opportunity to witness some real wonders of God and to experience the kindness, the goodness, the love, the compassion, the mercy, the faithfulness of his character. We're going to forfeit that because we're basically going to say, okay, God, like, whatever you do your thing, you do you, God, I'm over here. I'm doing me. I'll meet you at the gates after I die. Right. 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 Uh, So we're going to forfeit really the most awesome parts of following God. If we choose to say, Nope, not me. I'm going back to Midian. Peace out. Send Aaron, my brother. <laughs> See, I was going to say preach. Cause, cause seriously, uh, you're just preaching the word right now. It's pretty, this has been amazing, honestly. Um, just, just amazing. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm blown away. I, I feel like we've given hopefully a lot of insight into not just this book, but also the other ones as well. And I'm, I'm just so thankful for your time, but before we, we leave, where do I get it? So if I, and I always say this, if I'm driving down the road, cause most people, I think when they listen to a podcast, they're either walking their dog or they're working out or they're on their treadmill or they're on their way to work or on their way home from work, or maybe a little bit both. Um, so if I'm driving, walking, running, whatever it might be, how do I find the book? What's the easiest way for me to find your resources? Yeah. So if you go to my website, ericawigginhorn.com, there'll be links on there where you can purchase the book. You can get it pretty much anywhere. Um, If you have a local Christian bookstore in your community, please buy it there, support your local Christian bookstore. Um, But you know, you can get it all the, all the places, Barnes and Noble, Christian discount book, books a million. You can even order it from Target or Walmart. Um, And of course, the almighty Amazon. That's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. And I will have a link as well uh, in, in the podcast if anybody wants to find it after the fact, but that, that seems like the easiest way to do that. You also mentioned speaking. So do you tour and speak? I do. Yes. Okay. I like to do um, women's retreats, women's conferences. Generally I speak to women. Uh, you're the exception today, Erin. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Generally, I speak to women, yes. Um, but uh, yeah, I travel all over uh, the United States speaking at different churches and parachurch ministries and nonprofits. Can they find that through their website as well? 
So if, if someone Absolutely. that's listening, if there's a pastor that's listening um, and they want to bring you to their church or someone that wants to bring you to their women's group, they can find that yes. on your website as well. Yes, there is a speaking page with topics, a schedule and ways to contact me. Awesome. All right. Well, I think I'm out of questions. <laughs> this has been amazing. I'm so honored. Um, really, I, I really am. This has been, um, you've spoken to me. Um, hopefully, you know, the other two people that listen to my podcast <laughs> will get something out of it as well. I'm kidding. Um, no, I, I hopefully um, someone else that listens, you know, this, I, I always just pray. Every time I do one of these, I always pray that it lands where it was supposed to and with who it there needed to, to land to. And so, um, you know, I don't ever know if that's one person or a million or, well, I know it's not a million, but, um, you know, wherever it lands, I just, I think that's, I just trust God. Like you just said with sure. Moses, I don't feel I'm not Joe Rogan. I'm not the guys in the top 10 of the podcast world, but, um, I don't have to be, um, I just that's have to right. click record. And so, um, but I'm, I'm so always honored because I get the opportunity to click record for people like yourself. And so thank you very much for coming on and being with us. Any last words for the audience? Uh, well, thank you, Aaron, for <laughs> just being awesome. This has been really fun. Good. Uh, I would just say if there's anybody out there listening and maybe that's you, maybe you, what I shared about reading the Bible or connecting with God, maybe that really resonated with you. Um, if you go on my website, which is just my name, ericawigginhorn.com, I have uh, a re free resource on there. It's called the Busy Women's Bundle. But inside that resource, there is an ebook, a free ebook, and it's called 50 Days to Intimacy with God. It's not mm -hmm. just that particular resource is not just for, for women. Uh, mm -hmm. It would be very applicable to men as well. Um, I've had several men go through it, but if that's you out there and you're like, you know what, that's me, man, I struggle to read my Bible. I don't even know the last time I read my Bible. Go download that. Um, take advantage of that free resource. I wrote it with you in mind because I get it. But start somewhere. Do something to take a step closer to God. Mm. He's right there. He's waiting for you. He wants to connect with you. So maybe going into a bookstore and trying to find a devotional is intimidating. Reading your Bible is just struggle bus. I get it. <laughs> go get it. Go get that and start there. Well, this has been so wonderful. And, and I, 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 I do me open invitation anytime you ever want to come back. So when you launch your next book, um, please, you know, consider coming back because I, I, I really appreciate and enjoy having you again, but um, thank you for your time. It, it really has meant a lot. And, um, I, I just, uh, I appreciate the fact that hopefully somebody else heard this and realizes that, you know, it doesn't have to be intimidating and we can be, as you said earlier, vulnerable enough, even if we don't want to tell anybody, we can be vulnerable enough before God to say, I don't understand your yes. word. And you've given them a little bit of a roadmap to get started. So thank you so much. It really means a lot. Thank you, Aaron. It was a joy to be here. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Unscripted Podcast with your host, Aaron Conrad, from his studio at the Junction in Old Hilliard. Make sure to like, share, follow, and review on your favorite podcast platforms. Also, make sure to check out my song, Great and Mighty One, on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you find your music. We'll see you next time on Unscripted with Aaron Conrad.